0: M S W Media. I went to the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom as a government employee to get them media, and that was the first time I heard of Leonard Leo.
1: Prevail. Sešutivs neva programa pro politiku, istori, la securitate nationala, crimen organizat, dinero susio, global
2: ručci, da brujbu za demokraciju. I now.
1: ATP.
3: And
1: now, Coluscales, so a Britian. Oh, Welcome to the fight. This time, I know our side will win.
2: I'm Greg Oliar, and this is Prevail. Welcome to the program and to the premiere of season seven. We've got a great show for you today. Tom Carter is here. Tom is a former journalist, a former PR guy. And for three years, he worked for a federal agency called the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, or USURF. And for three years, Tom's boss at USURF was a man named Leonard Leo. Leonard Leo, who Chris Haynes said, recently, is the most powerful man in America no one's heard of, who Clarence Thomas once said is the third most powerful individual in the country. And yet, no one knows who this guy is. Well, Tom Carter does. Tom has, since he left, and recognized the threat that Leo presents to the American way of life, frankly, as we'll get into, and as you'll see if you're unfamiliar with him, he's been something of a Leo tracker. He reads up on the guy, any article about him he knows about, and this is the first interview that he's given publicly, and certainly the longest one. Um, So Tom knows a lot of stuff. He lays it out real well. I'm really excited to bring you the interview. If you enjoy the Prevail podcast, please follow, download, review, and share it with your friends. Prevail, my column at Substack, has new content three times a week. I've been doing this since November 2019, so there's lots of good stuff in the archives. Every piece at Prevail is free to read and always will be. No paywalls ever. I hate paywalls. Your generous support keeps it that way. A subscription is just $6 a month, $55 a year. Visit gregoliard.substack.com to learn more. Well, I've been off for three weeks. Three Fridays, I was dark and... It was relaxing. It was busy, but relaxing. I went to Berlin, talked to a lot of people from various countries in Europe and elsewhere. And the main thing coming from Europe is that everybody is scared shitless that Trump is going to win. And I tried to reassure them, no, 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 the American people are too smart. Um, you know, the guy's 91 indictments. You can call him a rapist now for real. You know, we knew he was a sexual assailant, a serial sexual assailant. Now, Now we know for sure he's a rapist. Uh, Per the court, New York State is going to take a lot of his money away and hamper permanently probably the way that he can do business. Uh, The guy is a loser, and I don't see him adding uh, voters to what he got last time. I see him losing voters because people are turned off by this guy. And uh, my friends in Europe, reasonably reassured. Um, You know, anything can happen, but I'm feeling still pretty confident because I think Biden's doing a great job. And I think he'll continue to do a great job. What did I miss in the last three weeks? Ah, Tucker Carlson was in in Europe when I was in Europe. Uh, In Moscow, though, uh, interviewing Vladimir Putin, I wrote a piece about that uh, for Prevail, summing up the propaganda shitstorm uh, that that was. Failed propaganda, really, because Putin is such a weirdo. Um Trump has been saying crazier and crazier stuff. He he keeps harping on this idea that NATO countries aren't paying their fair share and that if he's president again, he's just basically going to let Russia invade Europe and not do anything. Uh which is, you know, we laugh at him, but like it's serious stuff. Like if Trump becomes president, we're all kind of fucked. We just are. That's, you know, um Leonard Leo's part of this, the Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk about this with Tom later. Uh, This Project 2025 is a a real document that really does document exactly how they will end democracy in this country, which is something that Leonard Leo and his right-wing cronies want, because the only way that they can achieve the goals that they have is to create some sort of dictatorship, because people in this country don't like what he's selling. They don't like it. He's never going to get a majority view. That's why he went towards the courts, because he knew that he could... Uh, subvert stuff that way. So let's get to it. Leonard Leo, who is he? He's one of the most powerful individuals in the country, as discussed. His spider web of connections is extensive. Most Americans, including many working in Washington, have never heard of him. Even though his name is Leonard Leo, he occupies the center of an intricate web of political, legal, religious, and business connections. He's a veritable dark money spider. Like a spider, he is patient, painstaking, relentless, and much more powerful than he appears. And like a spider, he prefers to stay hidden. When I began researching Leonard Leo, I didn't know much about the guy beyond his silly comic book villain name. I was surprised to discover that he was, like me, a middle-class product of Catholic upbringing and Italian descent, who graduated from a public high school in New Jersey. Not at all the well-heeled, wine-swilling master of the universe he's become. He's also much younger than I expected. He's born in 1965, solidly Gen X. He's only seven years older than I am. Yet Leonard Leo somehow is the individual most responsible for stripping away federal abortion rights. Dobbs, all him. As his admiring chum Ed Whelan presciently wrote in 2016, no one has been more dedicated to the enterprise of building a Supreme Court that will overturn Roe v. Wade than the Federalist Society's Leonard Leo. As Politico reported, and as I wrote on Prevail, Leo has been rewarded handsomely for his troubles. I personally don't believe that Leonard is motivated by greed. Stephen Calabresi, who founded the Federalist Society with Leo and still runs the organization, told Politico, I think Leonard is motivated by ideology and ideas. I do think he likes to live a high-rolling lifestyle, but I don't think he's in the business because of the money. To be fair, Leo does spread that money around. He endows more organizations that I can succinctly list. Friends like Ginny Thomas get a taste. He brings his SCOTUS cronies on lavish fishing trips with his billionaire backers. And yet payoff Lenny, as I call him, has amassed a fortune for himself and spends that fortune lavishly on tailored suits, palatial vacation homes in Maine, and bottles of wine that cost more than what most Americans pay for a month's rent. Jesus liked wine, yes, Jesus hung out with fishermen, sure, but I'm not sure the Son of God would approve of Leo's stockpile of dirty loot, although his fellow Knights of Malta don't seem to mind. Money washes away a lot of sins, as anyone familiar with the history of the Catholic Church well knows. And so, the rich and powerful Leonard Leo presides, spider-like, over Washington, moving chess pieces around the Great Board, raising unfathomably vast sums of money, and cultivating his extensive network. And it's a network that harms people, that brings real harm to people in this country. So, without further ado, we'll be right back with Tom Carter.
1: Times have changed. So this rich man, look what he owns. We can't pay off our student loans. So we lose ourselves in our phones. And tomorrow, Earth will turn to a dried up husk. We'll all die. While the rich men fly off to Mars with Elon Musk For news we once had Walter Cronkite Today it's a nightly gaslight of cable shows Everything blows For many decades, since John Marshall, our SCOTUS, it was impartial. Now it's Harlan Crows, everything blows. It's so dumb today and ho hum today. I'm so numb today, David from today. When most guys today, reporters prize today, are just Peter Thiel tech bros. Trump is such a sick, depraved guy. I'm praying we will be saved by the UFOs. Everything blows, everything blows.
2: Tom Carter, welcome to Prevail. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm delighted to have you. Uh, you and I have been talking for quite some time about um, our mutual friend, Mr. Leonard Leo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, you're, it, it, for you, it's something of a beat. It's something of a, of a you you follow Leonard Leo the way other people follow, like the New York Mets or something. So um, I wanted to have you on and, uh, you know, pick your brain and share with with everybody who this guy is how he got to be where he is, how he's everywhere, and yet kind of anonymous, which is weird, especially given that Leonard Leo is such a perfect comic book villain name. Right. right? He yeah. should be, and he looks like the Penguin, so he should be a guy that's front and center, but he's not. Um, right. So before we get into all that, though, I want to just talk about you for a minute. So uh, okay. tell everybody who you are, uh, a little bit about your background and how you came to be working with and for Leonard Leo, what you were doing, uh, all of that stuff.
0: Well, I was a reporter at the Washington Times for 25 years, the last 15 or 16 on the Foreign Desk, where I covered a lot of uh, Latin America, Cuba, Nicaragua, that sort of thing. Uh, Toward the end, I was more covering global stuff. Human rights, uh, global health, like ma- malaria, SARS. If I would still been a reporter, COVID would have been my my uh, beat. Um, anyway, uh, around 2004, 2005, the Washington Times. It was always conservative, but it took a hard right conservative into what now people call the alt right. Uh, some of the some of the editors and I had a problem with that there was um a guy whose name you probably don't know or maybe you do named John Tanton he's considered the the godfather the puppet master of all the various uh, anti-immigration groups and basically he and his people were embedded in the Washington Times and so in in the anti-immigration sense the Washington Times was maga before Trump was MAGA okay. on, on, on anti-immigration, and it was a step way too far for me. Uh, and so I began looking for another job um, because I had covered human rights in a lot of different circumstances and countries and situations. Um, the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, a small 501c3 um, law firm in Washington, D.C., dealing with religious liberty reached out, and offered me a job. They wanted more media presence, and I knew how to contact reporters and how to pitch press releases and that sort of thing, and so they hired me, and that's what I did for a year.
2: What year was this? When was this?
0: This was 2008. Okay. So during that year, I... um The Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, although it bills itself as a multi-religious, so on and so forth, uh, law firm, and they do have evangelical lawyers, they've had Mormon lawyers, they've had uh, Muslim lawyers, and so on and so forth. Generally speaking, it is pretty hardcore Catholic. And um, it was great working for them. I mean, basically, I remember we had one case, uh, a Santeria guy in Texas wanted to kill chickens or something in his yard and his evangelical next door neighbors hated that because he was Santeria. And so they tried to get it banned. At the same time, they were dressing deer and turkey in their backyard that they had shot. So it was okay for them to do that, but it wasn't okay for the Santeria. So we defended him and we defended uh, Muslims on uh, police forces that wanted to wear beards, that that sort of thing. But uh, the biggest thing that they were involved with is, um, anti GLBT, anti same sex marriage. Uh, this was before Obergefell and I was pretty, I'm actually, I've always been for same sex marriage. I, my, my position is who cares? Uh, how does it affect you? How does it, uh, you know, affect your marriage, that sort of thing. But they were adamantly, the uh, extreme far right Catholic opposed, so there was a little bit of a culture clash. So about after about a year, the the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom was having a similar issue. They call it U.Surf. Uh, U.Surf was having a similar issue in getting media, getting attention in the media, and they were about to sunset in. In Capitol Hill congressional terms, sunset means your money runs out and you disappear yeah so so they were def- they were desperately trying to get media get coverage, so they could then go to members of Congress and say, "See how important we are we We did this, we did that, and so long story short, I put in my application, I got the job as a government employee, and so I was. I went I went to the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom as a government employee to get them media. And that was the first time I heard of Leonard Leo. Uh, before I left the Beckett Fund, uh several people came to my office and said, be very careful of this guy. He's uh if you get on the wrong side of him, you're gonna get in trouble. So so tread tread carefully. And so I went to the Beckett Fund and not the it Fund to the US Eastern, Commission yeah. on International Religious Freedom. And I was able we could work together. It wasn't wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, everybody is for international religious freedom. When the Iranians beat up on Baha'is or Zoroastrians, everybody thinks that's a pretty much thinks that's a bad thing. If Russia beats up on Jehovah's Witnesses or Hare Krishna's, that's a bad thing. And so We were able to work together. It was, you know, a professional working relationship. But uh, several months after I got there, some, you know, hires and fires and people leaving and so on and so forth, he became the de facto uh, executive director. He was, he was named chairman of the commission. These are all political appointees. Leonard was a political appointee and his first act as chairman of, the, of USURF, was to fire a young woman who had just been hired and who had not started. She was a, a Muslim woman, and he basically fired her for being Muslim. And at that point is sort of where I, when I broke with him. I said, no, this is wrong. Uh, the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom should not be firing Muslims because they're Muslim. And that was a, a minority view <laughs> at, at the government agency run by Leonard Leo. <laughs>
2: so, okay. So, how long did you work with him?
0: Three years. Three
2: years. Oh, you were there. Okay, that long. Okay.
0: Two thousand nine to two thousand twelve.
2: Okay. So, my first question about him is: What's he like in person? Like, is he? Uh, what's he like as a manager like what's his management style does he remind you of anyone else that people might be aware of i have a i have an idea of what he's like and i'm curious what what your impressions of him apart from his ideology
0: just personally right um he was okay for the, for the most part stiff um very rigid in the sense that his word was law and you know nothing else much mattered some of the staff in, in Usurf called him "Little Napoleon," because he was a short guy, and he was, you know, running around making, you know, proclamations about this, that and the other thing. Pretty clear, if you got on his wrong side, it was he would come after you. He didn't like that. But, like I said, for the most part, he was OK to work with. I should say, um, a lot of people associate him with the Federalist Society, and that was his full-time day job. Okay. Uh, USERF was a political appointee, non-paid job, in essence, uh for people to brush up their resumes. Everybody there was like the you know, the stories in the office was, oh, this person needs needs a line on international relations so she can get tenure at her. University, you know, the story was Leonard was brushing up his resume. He was, uh, getting some international relations in front. Anyway, I would speak with him or see him or talk with him three, four, five times a week. Um, sometimes just quick, you know, approve this, this message or approve that thing. Uh, but other times, you know, talking about, you know, this, that, or the other thing that was going on at the commission, small, small government agency. It only had an, um, a budget of $4 million. So that lets you know sort of where it is in the scheme of things. It was next to nothing. Yeah,
2: right, right. So, yeah, that makes that all makes sense. Um, in Leo's own words, you know, on that Teneo Society, whatever it is, video, right. he says he spent the last 30 years boosting the conservative legal movement in this country and other things I would call it the fascist, the neo-fascist movement, and not the conservative legal movement. But that's just me. Um, so I guess in the big picture, just because again, a lot of people don't know who he is and what his importance is, his outsized, outsized importance behind the scenes. What did he do, uh, and how did he do it? Without getting into the weeds, just in a general umbrella kind of without
0: thing. without getting into the weeds, he put on the United States Supreme Court. Over uh, a period of time, six far-right extremist Catholics, uh, six out of nine members of the Supreme Court, got there via Leonard Leo. Uh, He either picked—five of them he picked, vetted, and spent millions of dollars campaigning for to get them confirmed. Clarence Thomas, he was just friends with, and this was the beginning of his career— and he helped there, but it wasn't so much Leonard's Leonard's doing that got him onto the Supreme Court. But uh they they sometimes people will say, Oh, there's five extremist Catholics, one is an Episcopalian Gorsuch. I mean, he was raised raised Catholic, he's now goes to an Episcopalian church. I mean it's kinda fluid, so I, I don't know exactly his status, but I think it's fair to say six Leonard put in single handedly Six extremist Catholics, anti-abortion, anti-GLBT, anti-contraception Catholics on the U.S. Supreme Court. And they are now ruling for the next 40 years.
2: Yeah. And they're in in waves, too. And I think, you know, Roberts is one of these uh, figures that presents as, quote unquote, normal and I think the media likes to think of him as somebody who harkens back to the the old times and this and that. But he's he's almost more dangerous than the others because he seems more normal. But he's just as he's just as much of a reactionary as the rest of them, in my view.
0: Well, the thing about Roberts is, and I'm not a lawyer, but I can only go by what other people have studied and written and said. He is what some people are calling the religious liberty. He is he's leading the leader of the religious liberty court. If anybody comes to the Supreme Court with a case saying my religious liberty is being violated by me having to serve uh, gay couples in my bakery or my hotel or as a law clerk or or whatever, um, Roberts, his, um, his rulings, his history is almost entirely ruling in favor of religious liberty over everybody else's rights.
2: Yeah, that and the dark money. I mean, he's, you know, the Citizens United. And well, the,
0: dark money is another thing.
2: Yeah. So, well, let's talk about that because Leonard Leo put the Supreme Court justices there, but one of the ways he was able to do it was by using the dark money. And he's really good at that. Like, you know, he has this this web of uh, 501c3s and these other organizations and, From what I understand, he'll do something like, I I guess, with these uh, organizations, as I understand it, they're not allowed to spend more than half of their budget on political stuff in any given year. So what he'll do is he'll have organization A will uh, spend its money and then give a bunch of money to organization B, who will spend 49% of it, and then give the rest of it to organization C, who will spend 49% of it. And it's this asymptotic uh, kind of system and it 's a shell game, and it's it violates the spirit of things, but um talk a little bit about his groups, like what are the you mentioned the Federalist society before? Um, talk a little bit about what the 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 bigger groups that he's funded in the past or worked with in the past are, so people would know them when they hear them and I know he changes the names of them a lot.
0: Well, the biggest one is the Judicial Crisis Network, which uh, was actually founded during the Bush years, but sort of went dark. But Leo revived it um, in the Obama years and hired a woman named um, Carrie Severino to run it, uh, also uh, a far-right extreme Catholic. And the money, the money bags of that organization in the early days was a couple named Anne and uh, Neil Corkery, who... At one time or another, said they were in Opus Dei. Now sometimes you see articles where they say they're no longer there. I, I don't know, yeah. but they're still that very, very much involved. Actually, I met them when I was at the Beckett Fund. Had no idea who they were. They were. They came in one day. Somebody said, no, this is Anne Corkery." I shook her hand. Uh, you know, hi, thanks, and and that was that was the extent of the conversation. But um, also very, very devout. Uh, right-wing uh, Catholics. Um, and they have spent millions. Uh, Judicial Crisis Work Network over the years has spent millions and millions and millions of dollars getting these Leo's Supreme Court picks onto the Supreme Court. Going back, uh, in 2010, Talking Points Memo came out with a story that said, Leonard Leo has signed the founding documents in Virginia to create something called Liberty Central, which was Jenny's Tea Party organization, you know, what's that, a long time ago, 15 years ago. About a month or so later, the um, Mother Jones, uh, David Korn, did an article on Liberty Central and Leonard Leo being part of that. And basically, going after him for two things. One, uh, being part, you know, he attacking this young Muslim woman. There was a lawsuit going on at the time. And two, ground the Ground Zero mosque um, right. uh, controversy was going on in New York. And Lib- Jenny's Liberty Central was sending people up there, uh, John Bolton, Pam Geller, uh, I forget a few other people, all anti-Muslim individuals, and he wrote about that. A Couple of weeks or months later, uh, Liberty Central disappeared, <laughs> as as these th- as Leonard Leo groups yeah. tend to do. They changed and disappeared, and this was um, Heidi Presbala at uh, Politico has written about how this change into a new Jenny Liberty jenny thomas liberty something group was like minutes before citizens united was decided yeah and so then they could then take advantage of it uh and they could also get out from under the scrutiny that they were on from those those er earlier uh things so anyway the judicial crisis network and Leonard's also involved with uh, the Council on National Policy, which Ann Nelson has written uh, quite a bit about. Um, I don't know. There, I mean, there there are eighty different groups involved in the Heritage Foundation's Project Twenty Twenty Five, which is going on right now. Leonard has ties, funding and or ties to forty of them, so it's a lot. It it's a and, and I don't I don't have the list right here in front of me. But yeah, now you hit the main. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. The federal. And now I think the federalist society, there seems to be a schism where the other guy whose name, I can't remember who uh, co-founded it with Leonard right. has tried to apparently put a little bit of a wedge between himself and Mr. Leo, perhaps fearing the uh negative publicity that this guy might.
0: Well, I time. think, I think one, I think one, there's a philosophical dis- difference of mm-hmm. in, between Leonard and, and some of the, uh, other FedSoc, how this group interprets originalism and how Leonard interprets originalism. But I also think there's a money issue. Leonard was at the Federalist Society to bring in money. That's, that was his primary job, find donors. And now he's the tail that wags the dog. He, he got uh, – Barry side gave him $1.6 with a B dollars yeah. um, a year or two ago. And no strings attached. He could do anything he wants with it. So then Leonard left, as I understand it, left the, his position at the – or one of his positions at the Federalist Society. And he and his partner, Greg Mueller, who was at CRC, Creative Response something. Anyway, everybody knows it is CRC, also a big uh, right-wing Catholic have formed their own organization where having been very successful in putting judges on the court and creating the pipeline for the judiciary, now they want to take it national. They're going to take it on the road with this Tineo and with his uh, CRC advisors group, and they're advising groups all over the country on just about every issue you can imagine – uh, abortion, contraception, anti glbt guns, climate change, voter suppression, vouchers, uh, immigration, taxes. Um, they they basically bought Scalia Law at Georgetown University. George George, George Mason. Mason George Mason University. They bought the naming rights at Catholic University. A Bush business, Tim Bush business. They've got a law center at uh, Notre Dame, and anyway, I mean it's it's. Impressive what they've what they've done. Um, it's <laughs> it's shocking, and, and as a matter of fact, just yesterday I found out a new branch, and that is the Heritage Foundation. We all we, we all know that the Heritage Foundation is a conservative organization. What most people don't know, and the New York Times failed to tell their readers last week when they did an interview with the new relatively new, he's been there about a year, I think, president of the Heritage Foundation, a guy named Kevin Roberts, is that he is also a member or part of or in the same circles as Leonard Leo, uh, Tim Bush of the Napa Institute, the Opus Dei Center in downtown Washington. It's called the Catholic Information Center, the K Street Catholic Information Center. It's an Opus Dei aligned organization. Anyway, so now Heritage Foundation, which has a number of LEO, I don't know, lieutenants working there already. A guy named John Malkin, another guy named um, Roger Severino, Carrie Severino's husband. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think it's uh, fair to say that Heritage is another satellite in his universe now.
2: Yeah, and he certainly has the money to do it. Gre- Greg Mueller's uh, CRC is Creative Response Concepts public relations. And he was the guy, just for people listening who might recognize his name, he did the Swift Boat Veterans for Truth thing on John Kerry. He was the leader of that. That was his previous claim. Funded
0: play. by Harlan Crow.
2: Mm, another Leo buddy who was, yeah. you know, they're all in the all in the painting together.
0: Also, they were, uh, the that team was together during the Kavanaugh hearings, smearing uh, uh, Christine Blasey Ford, Ed Whelan, who was at the uh, Ethics and Public Policy Center, uh, and, a, and a good friend of these guys, uh, basically went out and told just blatant lies about uh, Christine Blasey Ford.
2: He, what what he did is he did the, the false Kavanaugh theory and suggested that uh, the house that she remembered was somebody else's house, and it was a guy that they knew, and it wasn't Kavanaugh, it was somebody else that did it. and he, There was a big thread on Twitter that he wrote. Uh, that wound up being, you know, bullshit.
0: Well, the other part of it is is as, as Mueller, Greg Mueller, CRC, sent staff to work on the Hill um, to support Kavanaugh. So CRC staff were actually embedded uh, on the Hill to uh, support Kavanaugh.
2: And Kavanaugh just, you know, he's really unique among all these justices in the amount of political, overt political activity he was involved with. For his entire career before he started being a judge. I mean, any kind of right wing Republican fuckery that happened from going back to, you know, the early days of W. Bush and probably even before that, uh, he was, you know, wrapped up in and it was, you know, Kavanaugh was the guy who suggested during the Bill Clinton impeachment that they go, you know, dirty with it and and bring up all the sexual stuff and make it about that. That was Kavanaugh. Great guy. Um, so. uh This is a good time to take a short break. We're going to be right back with Tom Carter.
1: Welcome to The 5-8. This is what we do here.
2: The 5-8, your Friday night hang. We take five of the week's most notable and newsworthy topics and spend eight minutes covering each one. Yeah, like everything else associated with Trump, it's a walking
3: disaster. Prosecution is important because it's the only thing that starts to puncture their personality cults. I really do need people to remember, like, tell uh, Americans history, tell the actual story that this country actually did that. What we need to be selling out there is that we are the antidote to chaos, that we are actually um, just for responsible, effective government.
2: There is no greater um, issue that sums up democracy versus fascism than abortion. There is nothing more authoritarian than the state telling a woman that she must Carried a term. Forced birth, yeah. A pregnancy that she does not want. Five segments. Three minutes of evolving animation by Chunk. Two revved up hosts. One comic interlude.
1: It's not the end of the world, just the Twitter. A special guest.
0: Basically, what we are now
2: is bailout nation in banks. Because nowadays, elections are not about facts and as many cocktails as we deem necessary. So I'm calling this a Dinesh D'Souza.
3: <laughs> when they go low, bury them. They're already <laughs> down in the gutter.
2: Join me, Greg Oliar, and LB, Stephanie Koff.
3: Our rants to one another end up being this show. This is what we decided to do with our friendship.
2: Friday nights, live, 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern. It's the 5 eight.
0: I guess it's okay.
3: People seem to like it. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP There, you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.
2: Okay, we're back with Tom Carter. Um, We were talking about dark money and all that, and you mentioned Ginny. Ginny, of course, is Clarence Thomas. Uh, Clarence Thomas' wife, um, as I think everybody listening to this knows. So they have a weird kind of special relationship. Uh, Leonard and Clarence and Ginny, as I understand it, have this, this kind of special relationship because. Leonard Leo, who is not that much older, he's in his late 50s, he's not that much, I'm 51, he's not that much older than me, he's from Central Jersey, he went to public high school in Central Jersey, uh, according to uh, readers on, on Twitter who, who posted pictures of the yearbook, uh, Monroe Township High School, which is, you know, right in the middle of, of things, um, he then went to, there's a picture of him being voted Mr. Moneybags in the high school yearbook, Uh, which I think that Tubin wrote about in the, in the New Yorker profile. Um, And then he went to Cornell to law school in Cornell. And then he sort of fell into this, this role where he wanted to do the thing to, to, you know, tilt all of the courts to the right and sort of pursued that with this um, monomaniacal ferocity for the last couple of decades. But talk a little bit about the relationship between Clarence Thomas and Leo, like what, because I think it, he sort of viewed him as a godfather sort of figure, right? Well, they're good
0: friends. Uh, yeah. Supposedly, Thomas, Clarence Thomas has a picture of Leonard Leo's deceased daughter on his desk. Um, I think there's a – Clarence and Jenny Thomas have – uh wouldn't call it an organization so, so much. But basically, uh, New York Times did a big article on this a few weeks ago. All of Clarence Thomas clerks at the Supreme Court are all in this sort of group. They meet for dinner, they talk, they text each other, and so on and so forth. Leonard is an honorary member of that. And a number of these clerks have gone on to uh, positions, you know, in the federal judiciary, in the Trump administration, and so on and so forth. And it's a very tight-knit, friendly group. Ideologically, they're all on the same page. Clarence Thomas has said on several occasions, "Why would I have a clerk who doesn't believe the same things I believe?" You know, I don't, I'm not interested in, you know, converting, you know, some outlier. Um, I want people who think like I do and work like I do, and to so forth. So, I mean, from from my perspective, it's interesting. Are 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 Jenny and 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 Clarence sort of the godfathers, the the of this the Pope and his wife <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of of this sort of um underground extreme right Catholic group, uh what what uh Carl Hulse at the New York Times once referred to as uh, DC's Catholic mafia, uh or or is Leonard, or are they side by side, I don't know. They all it's it's all sort of fluid, the, the way they they uh work together. Um I don't know if this is a good place to, to tell you this, but um the way I look at it, um have you're a literary guy, Greg, I read your Substack. <laughs> <laughs> um Herman Hess okay. in in the nineteen like nineteen forty five, forty-six, somewhere in there, was given the Nobel Prize for Literature. So, you know, in the sixties when I was in college, he was one of the people one of the authors everybody read. And he wrote books like Siddhartha and Steppenwolf and so forth. One of the books he wrote was called um, Magister Ludi*, The Glass Bead Game. And it was about all these elites in an ivory tower who played like eight-dimensional chess, Everybody, everybody had a, a chessboard in their room, and when, they made, when a physicist made a move on his chessboard, the oboe player in another room could respond with his musical background, and a scientist could respond with his background. So there was like this 8, you know, eight 10, 12-dimensional chess going on. Leonard is, is a little bit like that. If, to understand what he's doing is it's at least three levels or four levels of chess. You mentioned um, the, the Cokes, and I mentioned Barry Sy. This is what I call the libertarian billionaires. There's three, there's three basic parts. The libertarian billionaires want something. In 1980, uh, one of the Koch brothers ran for vice president, got less than 2% of the vote. On on a platform, which is very much today's MAGA platform. Yeah. So it was not a popular platform. It's never been a popular platform, but they knew we don't have the votes. So the, the cokes, the Scafes, the Ulines, Paul Singer, Harlan Crow, Barry Side, all of these guys have different individual wants. But in general, what it boils down to is they want lower taxes on their yeah. – multi-billionaire, you know, multi-billion dollar companies, and they want no federal regulation. They want to turn the world back to the 1930s and the gilded age, gilded age when robber barons did anything they damn well pleased. You had 12-year-olds in the mines or, or you know, in the, the meat factories, uh, you know, there was no regulation regarding climate. You could dump sewage anywhere you wanted to, uh, you know, all of this stuff, basically FDR's New Deal. They also didn't like uh, Medicare and Social Security and that kind of stuff because it's just spending money on their taxes going to stuff that they don't want to support. So that's that's one level. So where do we get the votes? Where do we get the votes? Well, um, Paul Wyrick, a very devout, hardcore Catholic who has said the more – people vote, the less people will like our positions. Uh, One of the founders of the Heritage Society, by the way, was also looking for where can we get votes? His issue, and, and he was meeting with Jerry Falwell. So you've got a top Catholic meeting with a very, very top evangelical. And what happened was the Supreme Court came down against Bob Jones University. Bob Jones University was a Christian university that practiced racism because the Bible tells us so. So they were, they did not allow interracial marriage, interracial dating, all of that sort of stuff. Somebody brought it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, well, yeah, you can do that if you want. That's your religious freedom. But you don't get government subsidies. You don't get a, a tax break. You don't get money from you know, the the common pot. And this this sent a shiver through the Christian private school world that had been created since the early 1950s when the Supreme Court again uh, came down with Brown v. Education, which basically said separate is not equal. Schools have to be, you know, black kids and white kids have to sit together you have to have segregation in the schools. Well, a lot of white people in the South didn't like that. So they started building Christian academies. So there were Christian academies all over the country. They recognized that their tax-exempt status was at risk with this Bob Jones University thing. So what do we do? We can't sell racism. That's not going to sell in the, in the you know late 1970s, early 1980s. What do we want? What do we want? I know – Let's get behind abortion. Let's become anti-abortionists. So this was a a political marriage between Paul Wyrick, conservative Catholics, and Jerry Falwell, conservative evangelical Christians, and that's how the uh, abortion anti-abortion movement really came about. It, It wasn't Roe that started it; it was these two guys, basically in a backroom deal. And so, so those are the votes. Those are the infantry. Those are the door knockers, the evangelical Christian nationals, nationalists, which we've read so much about in um, Catherine Stewart's book, "Power Worshippers." If you haven't read it, I strongly recommend you read it. Also, Sarah Sarah Posner's book. Also, um, Jeff Charlotte has done some great stuff on the family and on C Street. All of this is Protestant oriented. At the at the same time, Leonard Leo and his Catholic Cabal was beavering away in Washington trying to rig the, um, uh, the judicial system. It's been said if you want to create a fascist society, the first thing you do is get the judges. And that's what Leonard was doing. So you've got the, it's what I call the unholy trinity. You've got the libertarian billionaires, you've got the Christian nationalist foot soldiers, the infantry, and you've got the extreme catholic leonard leo cabal uh driving the tanks or to use a different analogy kicking the goals they're the ones that are getting stuff done they are putting the scores on the scoreboard so
2: i think that's a really and i did have notes to ask you about this cuz you've been floating this for a while and i think that's a really good way to think about it like the you know libertarian billionaires mostly care about they just don't want to pay, fucking pay for anything Which is interesting because many of them, if not most of them, inherited all their money. So, which is makes it even more disgusting. Well, the Kochs
0: got their money from their dad, who built refineries for Stalin and Hitler. Thank you very much. Right.
2: And I think it's not even going back to the 30s. I think it's back to the McKinley era. It's before TR. It's before the first Roosevelt that they really want to go back to. But uh, the the idea of fascism and why Leonard Leo and these guys want fascism, I think, is pretty obvious, which is that uh, it's not that necessarily they want an iron-fisted ruler. It's that they know that their positions, as you said, are very unpopular and won't fly. People aren't going to elect these things. And the only way to impose a society where there's never any abortions and, you know, being gay is criminalized is to have a fascist overthrow and just make that be the law of the land because dear leader said so. So I think that's, you know, at least partly why they're- Well, I I,
0: I think you're right. And there's been a lot of stories, ink, books- articles on Christian nationalism and how there is no separation of church and state, and we want Jesus at the top of the heap, our version of Republican Jesus at the top of the heap. There's, there's been very little on the Catholics, and they're actually uh, the ones that are doing a lot, of, a lot of the lifting in the sense that there's, there's something in Catholicism that goes back 150 years. I'm not a Catholic, by the way, um, called integralism. And basically, if you look up integralism, the short, short version of it is in separation of church and state, put the church in charge because every our life here on earth is to get saved and um, the church is is the leader in that. So the government should be following the, what the church has to say. There's a number of authors that are writing about this now, two in particular uh, Patrick Deenan, and another guy named uh, Adrian Verbule, and they're very open in order to create this ca- they're both Catholics to create this Catholic integralist society ideal world. Force will be required force is going to be needed because not everybody's going to want to do what we say we want to want want done so if you're Jewish or Catholic that doesn't believe in integralism or an atheist or anything else, you automatically become a second-class or third-class citizen in this Christo-fascist world. Think about the Spanish Inquisition, or more recently, think about Franco's Spain, or today, Orban's Hungary. These are autocratic societies run according to religious principles, whoever happens to be at the top of the heap. Uh, they're bringing the Inquisition. And as Monty Python said, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition.
2: <laughs> the Inquisition, let's begin. That's Mel Brooks. Wrong, wrong, wrong comic uh, thing. So to your point, another person who predicted or, or sort of foresaw kind of violence was Father C. John McCloskey, who was the, the head of the Catholic Information Center, the Opus Dei Center in Washington um, a generation ago. Um, and he's sort of the, uh, the spiritual godfather of, and thought leader of this movement that you alluded to. Um, he was also – he had to be retired for being handsy with one of the parishioners. and They wound up having to pay almost a million bucks to get that off the books. So that's the, the moral wonder that they're following. The, and- the, Opus,
0: the Opus Dei Center in Washington under McCloskey was very open. We are here to proselytize powerful people. And to and yeah. to get them into powerful positions, we want them to be opus dei Catholics in powerful positions. So some of the some of the names are are um, uh, Laura Ingram, for example, Cudlow, uh, um, Mulvaney, Mulvaney. I mean, Bill B- Leonard Leo, Bill Barr, Pat Cipollino, uh, monse Alvarado were were are all on the board of the Opus Dei Catholic Center in Washington, DC. Now they say, oh, we're not Opus Dei. We're just kind of Opus Dei adjacent. But you know, regardless, everybody thinks of it as the Opus Dei Center.
2: I think that, you know, let, let's let's stay on the religion stuff for a second. Now, I, I'm not Catholic anymore. I'm lapsed, but I was raised Catholic and I am confirmed. So somewhere in the Vatican, there's some piece of paper with my name on it. And I think it's important to make a distinction between the bulk of certainly of Catholics in general, but certainly American Catholics, and this group of people that uh, doesn't really have a name. I think one of the reasons they keep skirting around the Opus Dei label is because it is a label that people understand and know what it means. So it's really a radical Catholicism that is at odds with, uh, first of all, the, the Catholicism that I grew up with. Second of all, The Catholicism that most Americans believe in, and third of all, and most importantly, what Pope Francis says Catholicism is, because they're they're at odds. They don't like the Pope. So uh, and as you alluded to, you know, people write about Leonard Leo and they do not write about his religious beliefs. And they should, not because it's, you know, matters, but in his case it does because his religious beliefs, his radical Catholicism, as I see it. Uh, is the primary motivating force in in what animates all of his activities. The, the the reason that he wants to bring about all this conservative change is because he wants to bring about this sort of Catholic or radical Catholic society that you talked about before, which, by the way, Opus Dei came out of Franco's Spain. It's all a line. So that, that is kind of a uh, – historically, that, that um, prelature is a – fascist aligned uh, kind of thing. So uh, I think it's important to say that. And I think it's also important to say, uh, again, this is the Catholicism that I was raised with. The main thing that you're supposed to do and be as a Catholic is you're supposed to help the poor. You're supposed to help the sick. You're supposed to have uh, sympathy and help the most vulnerable members of society. You're supposed to advocate for them. That's the primary, as I understand it, and as I was raised, that's the primary role of a Catholic. And the positions that these people espouse do not do that. Who needs protection now? Who are the vulnerable members of our society? The trans community, the LGBT community, pregnant teenagers, uh, people that they are railing against. Um, And, you know, it's, 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 Frankly, repulsive to me, uh, e- even though I'm not Catholic anymore. Well, so
0: Let me say a couple of things about that. One, uh, you mentioned these guys are against the Pope. The P- Pew just came out with a survey of Catholics and found that 70% of American Catholics support the Pope, believe in the Pope, like the Pope, so on and so forth. So 30% don't. Uh, the Pope has decapitated and lowered in stature and in power within the Catholic Church, two of Leonard Leo's most beloved groups. One is the Knights of Malta, and the other is uh, Opus Dei. The yeah. Pope has also gone about um, demoting mm-hmm. several very important American religious, Catholic Catholic religious figures, a guy named Bishop Strickland in Texas, uh Cardinal Burke, um, there's another guy uh, whose name I can't think, uh, I probably can't pronounce Vignano or Vignano or something like that. Anyway, the Pope Francis is very much the head of, at least in America, 70% of the church. The 30% who don't like him believe in Benedict and a more strict, uh, less inclusive, you know, Gays are out, trans are out, uh, you know, I don't know, pregnant Abortions women. Abortion's
2: out, contraception's out. Let's have 75 kids. Yeah.
0: You know, all that kind of stuff. And it's interesting that it's 30% because if you go down the list of, of uh, issues, abortion, contraception, guns, climate, voter suppression, all of these issues that in the American culture war that are going on, the radical hard right site, it's only 30%. They cannot win elections. They cannot win referendums. They cannot win when the issue is put to a vote. So what do you do? What did Leonard do? He had to stack the courts. And now the courts are stacked. Um, We're left with dealing with the world that Leonard created. If he doesn't do another thing the rest of his life, he's already put us in a really bad shape. The same court that's going to decide soon whether Trump, can be on the ballot or not, you know, th- these kinds of things. I mean, it, it, any, any uh, fifth grader can read the 14th Amendment and see, you know, Trump doesn't, be- you know, anybody like that doesn't belong in the ballot. But, um, you know, Leonard Leo's Supreme Court might decide otherwise. Anyway, yeah, no, that's a good point. One other thing. Everybody understands you cannot understand what Mike Johnson is trying to do without understanding his religion. So the New York Times, the Washington Post, everybody's done big stories on Mike Johnson's evangelical nationalist background. By the same token, you cannot understand what Leonard Leo is trying to do unless you understand his hard right Catholic faith. Now, Heidi Heidi Schlumpf, S-C-H-L-U-M-P-F, of the National Catholic Reporter, just did – a pretty good job uh, for the first time uh, ever, to my knowledge, of Leonard Leo and his something about his Catholic background. You wrote something pretty good, 1921, and have written a few things since. Uh, Jay Michelson and the Daily Beast wrote something in mm-hmm. 2018. There has been nothing in what's mainstream media. Uh, New York Times, Washington Post, um, The Guardian, you know, Los Angeles Times. All of the big papers—they've done nothing so far. They're afraid to touch it. Leonard's religion, and this goes back to Diane Feinstein asking Amy Coney Barrett during her confirmation hearings, or not asking, but saying the dogma lives strong with you because she's the member of a, a, a conservative Catholic organization called People of Praise. And man, did. Did she get stomped on for saying that? Oh, you can't go after a religion. There's no religious litmus test. Blah blah blah. And so now everybody's afraid, afraid to go near it. Yeah, but that may be changing. I'm hopeful.
2: I'm hopeful too because we have to understand this guy. I mean, it's important. And again, the Opus Dei thing is interesting because I've never said that he's Opus Dei because you can't. I don't know what he is. I don't know if he's a. He has said he's
0: not. He has said he's not.
2: And that's fine. But he's still. Affiliated and, and he's buddies with all these people who are. And- well, let me
0: ask you this question. If a rich millionaire gave millions of dollars to his friends in a terrorist group and then said, Oh, I'm not a member of that terrorist group, what would everybody do? They would go, well, That's BS. You know, you're giving yeah. them millions of dollars. So Leonard is giving millions of dollars to Opus Dei. He, is, I mean, his name is on a plaque at the Opus Dei Center in downtown Washington, saying thank you very much. You're one of the top top donors. Um, he's on the board, or was on the board. He has said, "I support their activities," but I'm not. But I'm not a member.
2: Yeah. The other. The other thing that we and, – and again, Opus takes that stupid Da Vinci Code, which I hate anyway. It's just bad. As a novel, the writing is so putrescently awful. But I think everybody has that idea in their head of what it is. And I, I'm convinced that they, they wanted that out there so, so they could be like, we're not like, crazy like that stupid book. You're just saying it because it's in that book. And I think that helped them a lot. Anyway, the other thing – you mentioned his daughter and that Clarence Thomas has a picture of, of his daughter, his deceased daughter who has spinal bifida. And again, he doesn't believe in abortion, so he, he walks the walk with this. Um, there's a push, it seems like, to have her canonized and made a saint and that she has saintly yeah. powers. And the yeah. portrait – I found this out yesterday. The portrait that they've painted of her was painted by a guy who also did portraits of like Putin and all these Russians. Did you know that?
0: Yes, I did. Uh, and, and
2: I mean he's done – I was he's... hoping to stump you. I don't <laughs> –
0: well, we were discussing, does this guy doing portraits of Russians and Leonard Leo's daughter does that connect Leo to the russians um there and this is a that's a rabbit hole I've been down um but anyway, two things so remind me to get back to the russians but okay. yeah his his daughter, a big portrait that costs tens of thousands of dollars to get painted, hangs over the front desk of uh the Opus Dei center downtown. A guy named Austin Rus, Ruse R U S E has written a book called *The Littlest Suffering Souls*, and he's a—he, according to his writings and so forth—and Leonard are very close friends, good pals, you know, uh, soldiers in the same trench fighting against abortion, um, gays, and so on and so forth. Uh, he's been actually rebuked by the Catholic Church for some of the stuff he said about gays. Anyway, he wrote this book saying Leonard Leo's daughter, Margaret Mary Leo, who by all accounts lived a miserable, suffered terribly during her life. A lovely girl with spina bifida in severe pain most of her life, but a joyful presence and loved the church, loved the priests and so on and so forth. So since she's died, uh, Austin Roos and others have been pushing that she be made a saint. And one of the things that you need to become a saint is miracles. Miracle. You need to have performed miracles. Well, one of the miracles Roos lists in his book is that uh, Leo's wife, Sally, when she became pregnant again and found out her child uh, – the next child was also going to have spina bifida. She prayed that Margaret Mary would uh intervene, intercede, I think is the term, mm-hmm. and the next child that they have with spina bifida it wouldn't be as bad. And he was born, it wasn't as bad as hers. A miracle. It's a miracle. You know, look, I I, I understand. Every father grieves differently, and I can't imagine how awful it would be to lose a child um, to anything, spina bifida, gun violence, a car accident, you name it. It would just be an awful, life-shattering event, and people grieve differently. Um, I wouldn't put my daughter or son up for canonization and make a public thing out. They hand out cards at the – Opus Dei, St- Opus Dei Center. I mean, I've been there. I've looked around. It's a nice, nice place. Uh, and they they hand out cards where you can pray to Margaret Mary Leo for a miracle. They're they're also working the cardinals because Pope Francis is old, mm-hmm. and he has a bunch of cardinals that are going to vote on the next pope. Um, Leo, Tim Bush, and th- that whole crowd want somebody more in the uh, mold of, uh, of Benedict. And they're actually doing opposition research on cardinals, just like Judicial Crisis Network did opposition research on Obama candidates for, for court positions and so forth. I mean, it's, it's basically they've created a little judicial crisis network. It's called the Red Hat Group or Good Governance, Good oh, Governance God. Um, and I mean, it's been spoken about the even Opus Dei in uh, Spain, so this is not a good thing to be doing.
2: Yeah, no, that's uh leave the conclave alone, Leonard Leo. That's what I say. <laughs> Let them conclave in peace. Right. Um, <laughs> so, uh yeah, so this is good because I'm glad we're we're making the distinction too, because um whenever I write about him, somebody always mentions that Jeff Sclap, you know, the family and all that. And I always say it's not the same thing. It's a line, but it is not the same thing. So it's important, I think, to make the distinction. And if you look, one thing that I noticed in the late stages of of the Trump administration in January, like about, you know, the time of the insurrection, who was left in the administration running things? You had uh, just sycophantic weirdos. Um, You had other crooked people and, you know, kind of dipshits. And then you had a small group of people who are all affiliated with this group, this Catholic Information Center, you know, Kellyanne Conway, Pat Cipollone, Eugene Scalia, there's a couple more um, that basically were, you know, looked at this, I think, and said, I know this guy's awful, but this is the way to power and we have to, you know, seize the power in any way we can. I think that's just something worth pointing out. and. I made I wrote a couple of uh, or a two-part article about uh Leo a while ago called Man in the Middle where I tried to write down all of the you know all of the people he was connected with. I don't think we have to go through it in any great detail, but I just want to read out some of the names. Uh, some of them you've mentioned already just so we have them on record for people listening that want to do a little more uh research. We've got obviously everybody on the Supreme Court which is, I think, in, in, you know, in two different waves. You've got Clarence Thomas and then Alito and Roberts. And, and Alito is somebody that nobody knew who the fuck that guy was until Leonard Leo started promoting him. Uh, you've got a, another judge named Arthur Raymond Randolph, who's kind of a kook, right-wing guy uh, that Leo, I believe, clerked for. And he's been influential there in his thinking. You've got the Severinos and the Corkeries, which you mentioned. You've got Ginny Thomas and Kellyanne Conway who go way back with him. You've got Ed Whelan and Greg Mueller, who you mentioned. You've got Bo Rutledge and Mark Poletta, who are the right. two other guys in the portrait right. at Harlan Crow's house there. Uh, Mark Poletta is the one sitting with his legs spread with his you know junk face forward. Uh, you've got James Taranto, who wrote a book ranking the presidents with Leonard Leo and who is the editorial director at the Wall Street Journal and is probably the one who worked with Alito to print that article um, right. when that happened. You've got Monsi Alvarado at EWTN News. She's a lot younger than these other people.
0: Came from Beckett Fund. Yeah, she came from Beckett
2: Fund. You've got Steve Bannon, who tried to open the Gladiator School and who was tight with Gloria von Thurn and Taxis, who's this dowager princess from a very old, very wealthy European family, and I'm sure must be, you know, at least have some input into... who I'm sure she has opinions about who she'd like the next pope to be. Well, oh, there's
0: there's a picture of her up on Capitol Hill um, some time ago, and I believe Kavanaugh and Alito were both in it with her. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. they came to – was it's a very interesting interesting photo. Uh, Gloria, she used to be kind of hip uh, back in the day. She was like a punk, right. I don't know, right. interesting person. Gloria von Thurn on Taxis, and if you read – uh, the Thomas Pynchon book, The Crying of Lot 49, that family factors into that book. Uh, you've got Father John McCloskey at the Catholic Information Center. You've got the rich people that you mentioned, Harlan Crow, Paul Singer, Timothy Bush. You also have Charles Koch. You've got Becca Mercer. You have J. Peter Grace, uh, right. another guy who I believe was affiliated with Opus Dei. Who, uh, that's the main estate that Leonard Leo bought. Used He's a Knight of Malta. He was a Knight of, of Malta. Malta. That's what it is. Knight of Malta. Which, by the way, to be a Knight of Malta in the United States, all you gotta do is write a check. It's not that big of a fucking deal, as <laughs> I understand. Uh and Barry Side, who's this 90-year-old Jewish guy, very wealthy, who somehow gave all of his money to this radical Catholic, which makes no sense to me at all. Um, but there it is.
0: Anybody interested in Barry Side should read uh... Nina Burley's article. Uh, where was that? Where did that? I think appear? it's New
2: Republic. I want
0: to yes, say. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, she's yeah. she's done the most and best and deepest work on him that's yeah, come out she's so far. Cool. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and then in politics, you have Rick Santorum, you have Orrin Hatch in the old guard, and you have DeSantis and Josh Hawley in the new guard. So these are all people that Leo is really, really um, tight with. Josh Hawley Inledged also
0: also at one time at the Beckett Fund.
2: Yeah, Beckett Fund.
0: Uh, The Beckett Fund, because it hasn't been mentioned here yet, basically won Hobby Lobby and Little Sisters, which were both uh, cases that went before the Supreme Court against uh, Obamacare forcing contraception on health care. These guys had a religious objection to it and uh, therefore, you know, they – it violated their – religious freedom to provide contraception in their healthcare plans for their employees. Big it's a big deal. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting because it shows the Beckett Fund will take any case from any religious group as long as it has implications for Catholics. Yeah. yeah. And that would definitely has implications for Catholics. So
2: yeah, no, Beckett. That yeah, that's what they do, and it's been. And again, you know, we, we rattle this stuff off. We talk about the people. We talk about the dark money groups. We name all of this stuff. And I want to make clear, and I know you know this, Tom, but the this has real world ramifications. Dobbs being over, you know, being the Dobbs decision overruling Roe has enormous, enormous, uh, real world ramifications, and it will hurt a lot of people. And it's the first time in my lifetime that a right that we've had as American citizens has been taken away. I have been blessed to live in a time when rights have been expanded for people, um, You know, civil rights, LGBTQ especially, an expansion of all of these things. This is a right that people had in this country since 19, what 70, 71, taken away now uh, because of Sam Alito and these people that Leonard Leo put on the Supreme Court. So anybody that dies, anybody that has to leave a state to get an abortion, anybody that suffers miserably, Leonard Leo is responsible for that just as much as Donald Trump is. So if you're looking for a place to vent your anger and a person who is responsible, Leonard Leo is that person. He is that person. I want to make that very, very clear.
0: I would also add to that gun laws. The yes. Supreme Court has, has loosened gun laws so much But basically, every time a kid is killed in any school anywhere, they're all it's you can blame the Supreme Court. And if you're blaming the Supreme Court, you can blame Leonard Leo. They had a hand in the murder of every child killed in every school in the country the last few years.
2: Yes, that's a that's a good point. And of course the climate things, and now they're trying to make it so that the government, federal government can't do stuff. It's, it's a, it's a death group is what these people are. So that's who Leonard Leo is. And that's why we're taking the time to talk about him. Not because we're, you know, like to geek out on it, but because he's not only dangerous, but he's caused real harm, real, real harm, um, so a couple more questions uh and we'll get back to the Russians too when we go into those <laughs> questions. I have okay. not for believe me I will not forget about the Russians. <laughs> um so his bugbears abortion, contraception, LGBTQ. That's the things that he hates that the that the radical Catholics in general hate. Why? Why does he fucking care so much? Why what what's the deal? What do you think why do you think
0: that it is? Uh I don't know. I mean, you know, the old the old uh, gospel song, uh, "The Bible tells me so," right? Uh, whatever, whatever, whatever version of uh, the Bible Leonard is reading, um, you know, uh, I, I read something the other day that said uh, Jesus never once mentioned gays no, in, his, he did not. in his entire ministry. You know, so why do they care so much? I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's uh, you know. You know, you talk you talk about Leonard and the damage he's done, and and the damage he will continue to do. I think of this as Germany in the nineteen thirties. Yeah. You know, it it cannot go. I mean, people. You know, and, and what is it? We're we're frogs in the boiling water, and they they just they just uh, raise the temperature one mm-hmm. degree at a time, one degree at a time. You know, never forget. You know, Len- uh, Hitler was put into power through a democratic process. Yes. They. They could put it – they thought they could put him into power. And they thought they could control him, very similar to what we're dealing with here. I, um, You know, the Project 2025, a 900-page book of exactly how the uh, next Trump administration, if he's elected in November, will end democracy in this country. Yeah. They, they say it. They've printed it. Believe it this is what they are going to do you know the whether anyway it's it's uh, but you know f- i came across a survey not too long ago uh, taken by the us army in um occupied germany right after the war and they were asking germans what do you think about this what do you think about that 30 th- between 30 and 30 and 40% depending on which question was being asked said Hitler was right. This was after Nuremberg, after losing the war, after the camps had been exposed. Everything. Hitler was right. He just went about it the wrong way, and the and the Jews got what they deserved. So I've come to believe that there are a thirty percent, thirty five percent, which you know coincidentally matches MAGA, uh, that cannot be reasoned with. You know, not facts, not science, not bombing them into oblivion. Nothing will change their minds. And they say, you know, fascism is what they want. They're going to vote for it.
2: And I think it's, you know, and now you have, you mentioned Nina's, Nina Burley's uh, piece in the New Republic. Beryside gave $1.6 no strings attached, as you said. I think it's called the Marble Fund, something like that. That's the name of the new- Marble movement. Trust, maybe? Marble Trust, something like that. Something with marble hmm. in it. Marble being hard and shiny. I don't know uh, foundational, whatever. Uh, the gist of Nina's article, um, or one of the points she was trying to make in it is how much money that is and how much money he can now spend in perpetuity without even cutting into the principle. Just the interest alone on that money can fund so much right-wing fuckery that it's almost brain boggling. It's so much money that this little fuck now has at his disposal um and can use however he wants, so he's a guy who by the way they 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 wanted to investigate him, and he doesn't he's not he's refused to cooperate with Congress, which is probably bad, but you know there's no there's never any uh you know consequences for that
0: yeah i mean the the refusing to to cooperate with the federal government you know a subpoena a few- a refu- like Abbott in Texas right now. Mm-hmm. You know, looks like he's trying to provoke a Fort Sumter. Um, Yeah. You know, I mean the 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 red states originalism. Originalism, in my view, I've had some discussions with lawyers and so forth who know more about this than I do. But originalism that they're they're following is basically a rebranding of states' rights, the states' right to do whatever the hell they want anytime they want. Uh, and to hell with the federal government, whether it's on abortion or guns or contraception or immigration, whatever you know. It's like that's. You, I, I think you can say that the North won the Civil War, but the South won Reconstruction. Yeah, and yes. the lost cause, and the and the argument on states' rights. I mean, it has spread worse than than Ebola, worse than COVID.
2: I was um, I was thinking about this this week. Um, And I went back and I read, you know, there's also something called nullification, which is what Abbott is doing now, where he's trying to basically say, I know the federal government said we should do this, but eh, we don't like it. So we're just going to not do it. That's called nullification, which is different from the idea of seceding from the union. And uh, South Carolina tried to do this in 1832. And Andrew Jackson basically had a proclamation regarding nullification uh, that I went back and looked at that I'd never read before, which is uh, (laughs) astonishingly good. And he says that uh, in in regard to the state's rights, his point is you gave up the sovereignty a long time ago. That's just bullshit. And I'm going to read here for a second. What shows conclusively that the states cannot be said to have reserved an undivided sovereignty is that they expressly ceded the right to punish treason, not treason against their separate power, but treason against the United States. Treason is offense against sovereignty, and sovereignty must reside with the power to punish it. And his point, Andrew Jackson's point, is that by doing all this shit, they are committing treason. And that's what, that's what it is. So that's uh-huh. – anyway, interesting argument about states' rights. But let's go back to the Russians. Um, <laughs> oh, go ahead. You were going to say something. You want to – were you going to well, say about, something?
0: Well, I can talk about the Russians. Uh, the, you know, one of the questions that has been asked me over the years is where does he get his money? Where does he get his money? Where does he get his money? And at some point along the line, I thought, or I saw an article or something, and I said, I wonder if it's Russians. You know, I just, is it Russians? This is before the Beryside money. And a friend sent me a report that was done by the European Parliamentary Association or committee or something to that effect um, called Tip of the Iceberg. And basically, it was all the money coming in from the United States to Europe All of the money coming to Europe from Russians and neo-Nazi German organizations banding together to fight GLBT same-sex marriage, that sort of stuff. That's primarily what the report focuses on. And I was surprised to find that uh, the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Heritage the Federalist Society gives gave almost six million dollars. To that effort, now Leonard is the money bags. He's the he's the uh, the, the the money bags guy at FedSoc. That money did five million dollars did not fly out of downtown Washington to Europe to fight, you know, GLBT and uh, you know that whole world uh, without Leonard's approval. It just didn't happen. Yeah. Heritage Heritage Foundation gave a million. My question to that is, did, did Leonard give Heritage Foundation a million first and then they gave it? Because he's done that before with uh, yeah, the NRA the and, and, and so on and so forth. So, but it sort of ran into a dead end. Um, the, the closest I could find to an American being attached to that whole group. And so a guy named Brian Brown, who is one of the founders of the National Maggie Gallery, Brian Brown. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't sorry. think of the name of it either. Um, it's okay. Any, anyway, they are uh, they are hardcore right wing Christians of one stripe or another, funding money, giving money, and organizing and help. world world Fa- Congress of Families. That's the one oh, of the families
2: that makes sense. That that word World
0: is. World Congress of Families, and that's all tied tied to Russians and here and and um, you know presumably Trump's. Uh, 2016 win, but I, I don't know. Anyway, I didn't find anything directly linking Leonard to Russian money and that sort of thing. I'm still well, I,
2: My question is, you know, with Citizens United and with all the dark money coming in, how do we know that he's not taking money from hostile foreign powers? Now, after Barry's side, he doesn't need to, but up until this year or last year, he's getting money from somewhere. How do we know? And I think it should be incumbent upon him to show me that he didn't. You know, because I'm going to assume otherwise, if you want to keep it dark, then I'm allowed to speculate, motherfucker. So I think that's (laughs) it. And uh, I asked, I can't remember if it was Senator Whitehouse or Alex Aronson. Like, how do we know? And they were like, we don't. There's no way to know. So uh, getting back to the bugbears of the abortion and the the uh, LGBTQ for a minute. Right. Um, And I wrote about this when I wrote my piece a couple of years ago, Leo, the cancer. One thing: If those things are criminalized, if abortion is criminalized, if being gay and having gay sex is criminalized, it opens the doors for more blackmail opportunities. If you're a foreign agent, right? One of the reasons, the reason that um, Britain stopped criminalizing gay sex is mostly because all of their spies were had were getting blackmailed, and they were like, "We can't deal with this anymore. This right. is so stupid. It's hurting our right. national security." You know, do what you want. Um, so. By doing this, they're putting in motion, intentionally or not, a situation where there's going to be potential blackmail compromising material on a lot of people, Um, not that any Republicans could possibly be closeted gay men. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of the GOP. But also, you know, if if people are having abortions in back alleys and it's, you know, the the person doing those things is probably going to be affiliated with some organized crime or another, they're going to know the woman who went there and they're going to know who the father was. So, again, lots of compromising material available that wouldn't be available if these things were legal the way that they are now. Just something to think about, you know, don't know if it has any, you know, ramifications here, but it's certainly a real thing that it is a ramification of if these things are illegal,
0: right? Seems to be, I I watch, (laughs) I watch uh, BBC and BritBox. So yeah, those, those (laughs) basically every spy uh, story from the sixties is about some, some uh, gay guy getting caught and, you know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Turned. I mean, that was the thing. They were finally like, we can't do this anymore. This is stupid. Um, Yeah. So now the last thing, and we should end uh, here, um, okay. With this kind of thing, because I know you wanted to talk about it. He's got money now. Um, basically unlimited resources. Leonard Leo can buy whatever he wants unless he's stopped in some way. Uh, he now has this thing called the Teneo or Taneo maybe it is if it's Leo in there. I don't know how right. it's pronounced where uh, the idea is to take, uh, apply the methods that he used to capture the court and capture the right, the legal system and do the same in the media, in entertainment and stuff like that, which I scoff at because real artists don't want to deal with this bullshit. That's just silly. But this is something that he's deliberately expressly now trying to do, and sent, you, know, weight behind and probably money behind. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's there. It's an outlet for him.
0: there was a movie that came out six or eight months ago. It just showed up on uh, Netflix about trafficking. Uh, I forget the name of it.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, I know the one that you
0: I, and and basically, you know, entire theaters were bought out by somebody, um, yeah. and, and they they pushed it up the uh, you know the ratings, the rankings, and and the now it's on Netflix. Yeah, and now it's on Netflix, and some of those guys got are now no longer associated because they were involved in I don't know, very some some sex scandal of some sort. I just heard uh, Roger Severino's brother. Was involved with that uh, as well. With the movie? Uh, yeah, he's a movie maker. He made a movie uh, a number of years ago called uh, Bella, which was a young girl gets pregnant. She's in difficult, difficult, you know, straits. She wants to have an abortion. She doesn't want to have an abortion, goes back and forth, ends up not having abortion, not having the abortion, happy ending. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's a professional, well-done movie at some level. And I just heard this, this movie on trafficking he was, he was involved with. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think they are going to – they do want, what do you call it, uh, Christian nationalist, Catholic integralist uh, music, rock and roll, books, movie, so on and so forth. I mean, has anything ever broken out of that you know, sphere into the mainstream. I, not that I know not of. Not since I the mean,
2: Middle Ages. I think, Yeah, yeah. you've got to go back a long time. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, don't I don't know, know of, uh, yeah, I, I don't know of any, any. I, there's a couple of YouTube channels I pay attention to that uh, recycle old Christian rock and roll. You know, <laughs> some of it is just hilarious. Um I mean, you know, what can, I do know that on at Sweetwater, where I buy music gear, there is a huge praise network. People buying stuff for churches, people buying, you know, recording. I mean, it's big, big, big money. So I, there's obviously somebody out there, yeah. a, an audience for that stuff. The old
2: church music I like. I, I listen to it sometimes when I write because it's very – it calms me down and relaxes me. And, you know, Bach wrote all those – masses and all this stuff we're not talking about that we're talking about just it's just goobery i don't know i don't know that it has much of a i I Mm -hmm. don't think it's going to break out i I think taylor swift is safe atop the charts i think (laughs) think it's gonna be all right i think it's gonna be all right so i guess the two questions that i have are leo's guy in 2024 was desantis it seems like and now desantis has uh flamed out in a horrible way uh just, just a horrible politician and just laughably re- awful. Uh, so the first question is, what are they going to do? What is this group going to do? Are they going to go into Trump? Or are they going to? How are they going to do it?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, DeSantis has close relationship with uh, uh, Clarence and Jenny Thomas. Leonard went down there and basically pe- picked all of his judges who are now ruling on various Disney and other you know book bands and mm-hmm. stuff those are all Leonard Leo DeSantis judges, and yeah, he fell big face plant. Uh, I don't think Leonard will try to back whatever horse is running uh, in the in this case, probably Trump. He doesn't care whether Trump likes him or calls him a little fat fuck or, or whatever none <laughs> of that none of that matters, which he and, did. By which way. he that's did. A quote. Yeah, that's a quote. Uh, there's a, there's a quote in Ruth Marcus's book on Kavanaugh, where Leonard says, "Look, I was here long before Trump. I'll be here long after Trump, doing the same thing." Trump was simply a vehicle, yeah, to get to get the door open that they could run through and stack the courts. Now Trump is a wrecking ball. He can, if he's elected again, he can smash down all kinds of barriers. And Leonard and his machine. Uh, can run through and do all kinds of you know cause all kinds of mayhem, and they will they're absolutely they're funded, they're relentless, they're worse than a dog with a bone, and have been with that bone for twenty or thirty years yeah i mean it's it's frightening to see what they say they are going to do, what they have done in the past, and what they intend to do in the future. Axios had an article just the other day about how the difference between 2016 and 2020 for Trump in 2016 it was a bunch of amateurs and they didn't know what the hell they were doing. 2020 these are all professionals. They're working on the same page. There's no leaks coming out of his organization and they are just marching forward. Yeah. And if if he gets the if he wins like some of the polling says he will um You know, Leonard will be back in the corner, you know, rubbing his hands going, (laughs) this is what we're going to do now.
3: Yeah,
2: it's it basically, you know, Leo and these guys are uh, apart from everything else. They want to end democracy. So and and they can they can. It's it's a threat. And, you know, his, his name sounds like a comic book villain, Leonard Leo. It sounds like, you know, something from DC Comics in 1945 or something. He looks like a comic book villain, and and, you know the main thing I think people can do listen to this is make sure people know who he is and that he's responsible and how much power he has. Um, Yeah. So, is there anything else that you'd like to? Anything we missed? I think we covered a lot. Most of
0: yeah, we covered good, good bit. I would say remember his name, Leonard Leo. Google his name, Leonard Leo, and tell your friends to Google his name because. in my opinion, he's uh well, Chris Hayes said of MSNBC, the most dangerous man in America you've never heard of. Yeah. And even Cl- even Clarence Thomas said the third most powerful man in America. And I think he was referring to the president and the vice president being the most powerful and Leonard Leo being number 3. That's not an exaggeration. It's not uh he's he is. He's that powerful.
2: Yeah. So he is so. Uh, if you're listening, please, you know, pay attention. Now, Tom, uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you? You're on. Are you still on Twitter? You're there, right?
0: Yeah, but I've, you know, I'm, I'm about to go viral with my seven followers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> do you want more followers? We, we don't have to have any. No, if, <laughs> if
0: people wanted, if people wanted to follow me, they're, they're more than welcome to. My only, pretty much all I do on Twitter is post. New articles or Facebook is post new articles on Leonard Leo. That's pretty much my presence. Occasionally, occasionally I will um, post, you know, something I've baked or a flower I, or a flower I like, or a rock and roll song I like. But it's yeah. mostly mostly Leonard Leo all the time. So,
2: yeah. It's the literally, it's the, it's the, it's the Teneo network upside down. It's,
0: so it's a TH Carter. I think it's, I think my Twitter handle is T H Carter. Now it threads. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, so I know you were, you were hesitant to come on uh, and talk about this and I'm really glad that you did. I'm really grateful you did. I think, um, you know, this was great. And, people are going to learn a lot from it. And I thank you so much for taking the time and and talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank
0: you very much for having me. I think uh, 2024 and Project 2025, it's all hands on deck. You got to do everything. Everybody has to do everything they can. And this was a small thing I could do. And so I, you know, hope it helps. Hope some people, some of your listeners find out about Leonard. And I hope uh, more people find out after that.
2: Amen. All right. Tom Carter, everybody. Thank you.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Veil theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Serena Zabriskie, Marie Cast, and Martha Akuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John and me. Thanks to Alison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kenai Williams, Kimberly Johnson, and everyone else at MSW Media. If you'd like to support this program, get three friends to subscribe. The more downloads I get, the better the show does. You can also subscribe to The 58, the live YouTube show I do with my friend Stephanie Koff, a.k.a. LB. Tune in tonight for your Friday night hang. Most importantly, please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $6 monthly or $55 yearly subscription funds my work on the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Be kind to each other. Try and enjoy yourself. And until next time... We shall
3: prevail.
0: MSW Media.